0: Welcome to this episode of Van Attorneys Legal Pad podcast. This is a podcast by Van Attorneys PLLC, a law firm of attorneys licensed to practice law in the state of North Carolina. The content of this podcast is not to be considered as legal advice for any particular situation or case, and this podcast does not constitute creating an attorney-client relationship. Welcome to this session of Van Attorneys Legal Pad podcast. We're really thankful to uh, participate with you uh, during this podcast, and this is starting season two for us, episode one. And it's hard to believe that it's already been uh, a full season already, but uh, it's uh, it's fun, and uh, we have had some good feedback from our listeners, so thank you all so much for listening. Um, We are in our studios, uh, recording studios on the level two of our building. And uh, if you could see the studio, you would greatly appreciate the the context of what I'm talking about. (laughs) So let's look at session or season two a little bit, what we're going to be looking at. This season, we're going to be in a somewhat less structured uh, format than we did last season. Season one was more of the nuts and bolts of the litigation process. Uh, And this time, in season two, we're going to be looking at a, a little deeper dive, looking at specific issues that our clients often encounter. Um, we also plan to spend some time uh, during this to look at some current legal topics as well. And we're hoping to have uh, opportunities to build on the overview that we've looked at in, during Season 1 uh, through the current hot topics. As always, if you have a question that you want us to address, please let us know. We'd be delighted to include that in our um, format. We'd love to hear from you. So today we're going to be talking about you've been subpoenaed. Now what? Um, that's always a fun time when you receive a subpoena in the mail or hand delivery or by sheriff. So Ian, what what do they do? what what happens? What does it look like? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, it's probably worth just a
1: brief note on what a subpoena is, and it's uh, it's a request for someone to either appear and provide testimony uh, or it is a request for someone to produce documents. So I don't think I've ever had a client call who was particularly excited to have received a subpoena. <laughs> Um, so that's why we think this topic is relevant because people who are subpoenaed are, uh, not a party to litigation. So it's, it's always usually a surprise. Um, so the first issue that I think is important is who is likely to receive a subpoena and really it can be anyone. It can be an individual. It can be a corporation, any non-party to a lawsuit that may have information can be subpoenaed. So this can be in the context of maybe uh, you were a witness to someone getting injured. Um, You might receive a subpoena to come and testify and uh, explain how you saw things happen, or maybe uh, in the context of a construction dispute, you're a supplier um, and thankfully, hopefully you've been paid, but someone else uh, in the chain of the construction process hasn't, so they may subpoena your records to try to prove some element of their case, or they might even ask you to come and testify through a deposition or a trial. Um, it's important to note that a party to a lawsuit uh, should not, and really cannot, be subpoenaed. They're they're in the lawsuit, um, so the subpoena rule doesn't apply to them. There are other rules that apply to how you get information and testimony from a party, uh, but a subpoena is available for a for a uh, a non party. And I'm sure you all just heard an ambulance go by. That's uh just something that uh happens uh here in our building pretty regularly, unfortunately. Um so James, why don't you walk us through what uh, what someone should do if they receive
0: a subpoena. That's, that's a great question, Ian. So before we get to that, let's you and I let's bat back and forth a little bit uh, about receiving a subpoena. So I said initially, we how do you get that, right? It's usually by certified mail. Uh, I guess it could be hand delivery, um, be by sheriff, right? Um, that's how most people or companies are delivered or get receive a subpoena. Um, what happens if someone emails a subpoena to a, a company or an individual? Is that is that a good service for a subpoena in North Carolina?
1: Not in North Carolina. Our rules are, are still not allowing for any email service. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's not going to count. I think it's maybe a good practice if you're a litigator to go ahead and send a courtesy copy of a subpoena, particularly if it's a larger corporation that isn't going to try to dodge service just so it gets the subpoena out as soon as possible. And that's just a courteous way to allow them to... Uh, start the process of responding sooner rather than later, um, but your service date isn't going to be reflected by that email.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of times, we we'll, our clients will call us up and go, "Hey, I just got an email with a subpoena." And you go, "Okay, that's great, but that's not good service yet, and that you're not actually required to do that yet. But certainly, it's the precursor to because they'll get you, they'll get served. Right? It's not an issue normally, but it could come to your registered agent. Um, you know, if you're a company, right, it could be they could serve your registered agent, certified mail, or by hand delivery, or by sheriff, or again they could send it to you individually, or send it to your company by certified mail, sheriff, or hand delivery. Um, but or I guess it could also be FedEx and UPS, right, overnight delivery. Uh, if there's a signature required, but by email is not sufficient, right? Or if they call you, I've, we've had some people, our clients have called and said, hey, I got a phone call from. Attorney just said they have a subpoena for us, and we have to produce this. Right? Doesn't work. What about fax, facsimile, Ian? Uh, For those who still have a fax machine,
1: I think that would work. I think that would be good service. Uh, But a lot of times, you may not have a fax number for a, a third party witness
0: yeah
1: um and going back to the phone call for a second um i think in the and i haven't done criminal defense work lately but uh, whenever i used to do that i think the sheriffs may actually be able to notify witnesses for criminal proceedings over phone um i didn't go back and look at that but whenever you said that that uh, just jogged that in my memory that uh that may be a really limited exception that uh, hopefully doesn't apply to any of our clients yeah but, uh,
0: so, what happens if you receive a subpoena? What do you do? Well, number one, look at the subpoena, read it. Right, don't ignore it. Don't stick it under you know, on your desk and forget about it. Um, but read the subpoena to find out if you're uh, being asked to either testify or to produce documents, or it could be both. Right, they may want you to testify and produce documents. Uh, you need to know what they're asking you to do, what you're providing, what information they they're seeking. And a lot of times they're they're well whoever is issuing the subpoena should give you either on the subpoena or an attachment to it a a detailed description of what they're looking for the information they're looking for and what you're supposed to testify to um and you look at the first page of that subpoena at least in north carolina uh and it should have a deadline for when you need to enter or excuse me to need to uh, either appear or testify and or produce the documents uh so there'll be a date and typically a time to produce the documents or to appear and testify. So what do you do? Well, the first thing we would tell you to do is call your attorney, right? And talk to your attorney. Call us. We'll be glad to help you walk through it. Because there could be times where you need to take some other action, right? Or it could be you just go, you know what? Uh, There's no reason not to have that, uh, to disclose the information. But there could be information that you have that they're asking for that could be confidential for some reason, right? Uh, or it could be some reason sensitive information that you may or may not want to disclose or should not disclose. And also it could be attorney-client privilege uh, information that they're asking for that may be protected, right? Um, so you want to analyze whether you're able to, number one, meet the deadline uh, that they've put forth in the in the uh, subpoena. And then number two, whether or not you actually are, would be obligated to do that, right? Uh, so you need to look at it and go, okay, does it make sense? if they're asking for this information in 30 days, can I pull this information together and get it ready if they're asking for documents, right? And um, it, sometimes it may be, yeah, I can pull that together in, in an hour. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and then you provide that information, right? But again, I would say run it by your attorney just to make sure that you're not giving information uh, that you shouldn't be giving number one or number two, that you're not obligated to give if you don't want to do that. Um, if you are able to meet the deadline and comply with a subpoena, um, and you know th- there's no adverse impacts on you or your business, l- what's the m- most economical way? A lot of times it's to comply, right? If there's no, if there's no big foul, no big issue, no big issue about the, what their, inf- their information they're asking for, because we've had this sometimes, right? Where your customer, if your business, your customer gets into a lawsuit with another group, uh, entity, a business, whatever and that other group is subpoenaing you or your business for information about their records, right? No big deal. Your your customers happy with it. Not that they promote the information go ahead and subpoena it, right? And and issue it, right? It's not that big of a deal. Um if it's going to take a, you know, a long time to to provide that information, a lot of times most of the attorneys that that are working on the other side for the most part unless they're up against some major deadline and they're they're flexible in that deadline, right? To say, because they may say, you know, we want this information in 20 days and they'll give you a date. Um, but you look at it and go, there's just no way because of what our, say, our, your business is encountering right now that we can do that. We had this happen uh, early on in the COVID issues. Uh, we had a client that got a, a subpoena and they actually dealt in the, um, Paycheck Protection Program, and because of what they were doing, uh, th- there was no way they could comply with that because they were so inundated with dealing with the Paycheck Protection uh, Program that they just said, "Look, we can't, we we physically can't do. We were already short staff because of COVID, but you know, so we got an extension of time for them, got the information provided, and you know, thankfully, it was no big deal." Um, and if you don't have a conflict on the date uh, that they're being asked to testify, then you just got to get ready for it. And, and if you're, they want you to testify, just get ready for it to think through it. And we would encourage you to talk to your attorney, call us. Uh, there may not be a reason to take an attorney, but there could be, right? You just need to think through those, those kinds of things. So again, there are, there are things you can do uh, to protect yourself with it. But again, you want to think about it. Is it confidential information? Is it sensitive? Is it attorney client privilege? Or is there some other reason that you wouldn't want to disclose that? So, um, so Ian, what happens? You know, obviously they, they can get more more complicated. What what are options that folks have when they've been subpoenaed?
1: Yeah, so the good news is there are a lot of options, uh, and part of the reason that I think uh, most lawyers are pretty agreeable to working with us on either the scope of the subpoena or the deadline for compliance is we have some powerful tools to deal with subpoenas uh, that are going to cause the other side to have to go to court if we don't voluntarily work something out. Um, So you're permitted, if you receive a subpoena in North Carolina, to object to the subpoena, uh, which if you serve objections, then you're not required to produce anything or testify unless the court uh, intervenes and tells you that you are. Um, and then you can also follow that up with a motion to quash the subpoena, uh, which is just a motion that you file in that action as the third party to uh, get some protection from the subpoena. And the reasons you might want to do this, um, it can be uh, perhaps the subpoena is uh, just too broad or too unreasonable. If if you get a subpoena that says turn over every one of your corporate books and records uh, you're probably not going to have to comply with that. It needs to be reasonable in scope. And they also can't send you a subpoena seeking trade secrets unless those trade secrets are really important to whatever their case happens to be. But uh, just because we have subpoena power in a case doesn't mean we can send a subpoena to Coca-Cola and get the recipe for Coke or anything like that. Um, it has to be related to whatever uh, the dispute, the underlying dispute happens to be. Um, Another issue is maybe uh, if you're a business and they have uh, sent a subpoena to uh, either the, your business or one of your officers or directors, and that officer or director has a trip uh, planned to speak at a conference whenever we are able to do those types of things again, um, or you know just some kind of out-of-town out of travel plan. If you're not able to physically uh, appear at a deposition or appear uh, – a trial to offer testimony, then you're going to need to document that and explain that that's your reason for objecting to the subpoena. And what I always tell people to do if we have to do that is, well, let's see if we can offer the information in another way that's maybe less uh, invasive. And most of the time, as long as folks are getting the information uh, in a way that they can use, so it has to be in an admissible format, um, we can generally work something out so you do have all sorts of ways to protect yourself um and what i'll tell people though is that objecting or moving to quash usually only provides you with some temporary relief um if someone really wants your information or if they really need you to testify they're going to uh, figure out a way to make it work with your schedule um in general so Don't feel like just because you've objected, that's the end of it. That might buy you some time. Um, But again, uh, going back to James's point, it's almost always cheaper and more efficient just to comply with the subpoena, especially if the subpoena is reasonable. If they're asking you for a a bit of information that you've got in a single PDF on your computer, uh, assuming there's nothing in there that's going to hurt you, um, turning that over is just so much cheaper than engaging a lawyer to, to fight about producing the information. Um, so, James, uh, well, another question we tend to get is, uh, you know, this isn't our client's fight, so why are they having to pay to get involved in it? Uh, so talk to us a little bit yep. about that.
0: That's one of those delightful phone calls you get when your client is really mad because it's not not their situation, not their issues, but now they've gotten drug into this and they've got to, you know, provide the information, or at least they're asking, being asked to provide the information. And it's going to cost them money, not only with their attorney, but certainly internally as well. So, what what do you do? How do you handle that? Well, the rules of civil procedure in North Carolina um, have some protections in that, right? And so, number one, subpoenas have power, right? As we've been talking about, it is a court order. It is a you know, it's a good thing to provide information so that there's not a so the courts can can make decisions based off of actual facts and information, not sort of guessing at it. Um, and then number number two is if, let's just say obviously it's not your fight, but this is going to be. They're asking for information that is reasonable. It's not overly broad. It's you know it's um, related to the case and that, that that's at hand. Um, and you think gosh it's going to cost? It, it's going to take us thirty hours, right, to pull the, this information? I'm just making that up or whatever the number is. Um, you can go in the court before you provide the information. The rules give us a for provision to go in and say to the court this is just like really overburdening to us we can comply but it's going to be enormously expensive to us to do that and the rules give the court uh, some abilities to say okay we're going to shift the cost to the party that's asking for the information a lot of times um, it's not invoked uh, but sometimes it is Um, But if it's complicated um, document-sensitive issues, then certainly it gives you ability to go in and ask for it. Um, The court may order that the person to whom the subpoena is addressed to be reasonably compensated for the cost of producing the records and books and whatever it may be, even if it's electronically stored. Um, And then when a court enters an order um, to modifying the subpoena, the court may also uh, issue uh, how they handle the cost of it, including a reasonable attorney's fees. Um, again, the courts, I think, generally want to make sure that people uh, comply with subpoenas if they're reasonable and they follow the rules and so forth because, the again, it gives the court information that the parties contend is pertinent to the case. And, you know, I, I have found, I'm not you, and i found most of them judges, when you go in and ask for a modification of the subpoena, have been pretty accommodating, right? It's not as much a discovery fight because um, most judges don't like discovery fights, but this is a little bit different. Um, they, they, I've found them to be accommodating when they're asking, when you say, hey, look, either I want to quash this subpoena, which means get rid of it um, altogether, or to modify it, or to limit it somehow or another. I found most judges to be pretty pretty reasonable or and, and listening. Do you, have you found that in?
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, judges are sympathetic to non-parties in general. Uh, they're going to evaluate the situation and figure out, well, is there a way for the folks who are actually involved in the litigation to exchange this information without involving this third party? And if if the answer is no, then I think they're going to enforce the subpoena maybe with some modifications. If the answer is yes, then they might say, well, you all do your discovery and, and leave these third parties out of it.
0: Yeah. One thing I would be just advised, like, if you're listening to this, and know next time you get a subpoena, or your company gets a subpoena, you go, well, it's going to be Overly broad, and it's it's going to be cumbersome for our company to do this. And then if they ask you, and it, so you ask us or somebody you know, another attorney to to quash or modify the subpoena, and you go to court, and the judge says, "Well, how long is it going to take you to provide this?" and you say an hour, um, that's not going to be very well received by the court. You know, I can't tell you the times um, that we've had a client say, "I can't do this; it's going to be you know too burdensome." Um, and you keep talking, and you go, Well, how long me what how long is it gonna take? Well, it might take me an hour, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, You go even though time is precious, right? And once it's spent you can't get it back, um, most of the time people can probably go, That's not really burdensome. You need to comply. Um And
1: yeah, that's the cost of doing business. That's not really yeah. burdensome.
0: Yeah. So what's the flip side of that argument? Uh, Ian, what do we how do we handle that?
1: So uh, using that example, if we've got a situation where someone can pull all the information together in an hour or two, it's really not burdensome. If if you insist that we object on that basis and the court looks at it and does their analysis and figures out, yeah, this would only take you um, de minimis amount of time to pull the information together, the court may actually order you as the third party not involved in this fight to pay attorney's fees to the requesting party um, for causing this delay and making them go and get an order compelling you to uh, do what you probably should have done in the first place. So uh, moving to quash or objecting to a subpoena is certainly something that you can do, but you just need to do it for a really good reason. And uh, just be advised that if you decide to go down that road, and you can't back up whatever your assertion was as to why the subpoena was objectionable, but uh, you're likely going to be paying some attorney's fees on the back end.
0: Yeah. Hey, Ian, I know one thing we probably haven't talked about yet, but is there a time sensitivity to um, asking the court to quash a subpoena?
1: Uh, Yeah, it needs to happen before the compliance deadline. So uh, if the compliance deadline is April 25th, um, you need to get your objections and your motions to quash uh, submitted before that date. Um, otherwise, you're, uh, you're too late. And uh court, I have seen them uh, entertain some untimely filed objections and motions to quash. Um, but under the rules, I think it says you need to get those submitted uh, prior to the compliance deadline.
0: And the reason I bring that up is that we've had some situations where a client will get a subpoena, and intend to comply with it all of a sudden the deadline has passed and then they call us and they go we need can you help us squash it or modify it and you go, oops uh we may be able to massage it from a you know negotiating standpoint but going to the court then you're you've got a uh, rule issue that you got to deal with there so that's just something to think about right
1: um
0: yeah. so ian obviously we you know war stories are fun to tell um but also most importantly they're usually it's history or you learn something from it so can you can you give us some stories about uh something on a a subpoena that you've dealt with
1: yeah um so some of the most interesting stories tend to come out of trying to force somebody to comply with the subpoena so this occurs where we've served our subpoena we've gotten objections a motion to quash and at this point uh we've made the call that you know what we've got to go to court and uh and see if we can ask a judge to to order compliance and most interestingly uh, of my situations involving this have involved some kind of state uh agency or government agency where we're trying to get them to produce records um so what we'll do is we'll we'll subpoena whatever the records are, uh, assuming that they're not public records that are accessible that way. Uh, So we'll subpoena these records, and I don't know how many times I've gotten a call from either somebody at the Attorney General's office or just a a city attorney, town attorney, saying, uh, we don't comply with subpoenas uh, unless, and then it uh, is often, we don't comply with subpoenas unless a judge has signed them. So that's if you look at the subpoena form, uh, a judge is permitted to sign a subpoena. So if it's a state agency that I know I'm going to have this fight with, what I will do is I'll just go to a superior court judge and I'll say, I'll explain the situation and see if I can just go ahead and get them to sign off on it. And at that point, I would argue that subpoena is a court order. And I think that's why the the uh, state agencies, the local municipalities, what have you, uh, take them as seriously as they do. Um, but sometimes even if we do that uh, I've had to go in and uh, and have a fight about certain records that we're trying to obtain um, other times are in just it, I guess what I would say is the more contentious the litigation is it's the more likely we're going to have a fight about a subpoena um, and usually the reason we're sending a subpoena is because one of the parties to the litigation is not in our opinion, producing everything that we think they ought to be producing. So then we go to this third party, and uh, I've had folks uh, who are parties to the litigation, uh, sometimes they'll file objections, which I don't think is proper under the rules. Really, I think they ought to be filing a motion for a protective order, but however they choose to do it, sometimes the party to the litigation will object to our effort to subpoena documents, and at that point uh, we we go and we have a hearing, and I'll tell you that whenever I've had situations with parties objecting to a subpoena as opposed to non-parties, um, that has not historically worked out real well for the party objecting.
0: Yeah, that's some good stuff, man. Um, and you know, the, the flip side of that one, obviously, is so you get a subpoena, right, and you, you say it's too broad or it's not related or there's another reason you want to try to have it quashed or uh, you want to object to it, have it modified, um, we had a client one time who got a subpoena. Um, and I mean, it was like, it was sort of like what you mentioned earlier. It's like, you know, provide all your records regarding, and it was this huge, huge, uh, request of information. And, um, it also included pricing, uh, because the two parties that were fighting, uh, had a, they were having a, our client was not involved. They had uh, provided materials for, uh, the contract, but they were not involved in, in the fight, thankfully. Um, and it was, it came down to pricing and pricing was very sensitive uh, in that situation and in, in, in the marketplace. And so our client hired us to quash the subpoena on the pricing. And, and you know, usually there's one side who wants information and another side who maybe doesn't want information to come in. And uh, so we filed our motion. And like Ian said, sometimes it's really contentious. Um, and we were able, thankfully, we were successful to say hello we can provide the information as to what was purchased, but as far as the pricing, because of the issues involved, the court actually agreed that the pricing was not, uh, we didn't have to disclose the the pricing that our client purchased the materials and then sold it for. Um, that we could give an overall price, but not a specific item-by-item item price. And, and I'm going to say what it, the other, the side who wanted the information to come in um, was really, really hot, that they weren't able to get that information. But, you know, thankfully, we, the court agreed that that was, uh, sensitive information didn't have to come in and the overall request was too broad. Uh, and you know, it does make you feel good when you can, when you think that that's the case and you go in and make that motion and the court agrees with you. Um, so that's, that was always, always fun. And sometimes you, you don't win, uh, on those, but mo- hopefully when you do it, you know, makes you, it protects your client. Uh, and then you got to provide the information obviously. So, you know, one other thing, Ian, I, I don't know, I know you dealt with this with clients as well is when they they call up and go hey look um you know we want this information from say this company over here and the company and your company are really have great relationships right but the other side says look i really want to provide it to you but i don't want to provide it to you without a subpoena because i'm afraid the other side will get mad right if i if they just know that i gave you the information and so they'll say in essence hey why don't you issue a subpoena and i'll be glad to do that um is that legit is that is that only up and up
1: yeah that's only up and up Um uh, one thing that's probably worth noting about that is if uh you're required to issue a subpoena in order to get the information then that triggers your obligation to let the other side know that you received it and then they can ask you to yeah. give them a copy um whereas if if you're not requested to provide a subpoena before they give you the information, then that's just information that you've gathered through informal discovery, and uh, you may or may not have to turn it over to the other side during discovery unless they've asked for it. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So that's why, if I can avoid sending a subpoena, uh, a lot of times I'll try to do that first, but uh, it is really common that uh, we'll get a request for, I need a subpoena before I'll turn it over to you. I'll be glad to turn it over to you as soon as you subpoena
0: it. Yeah. So, Ian, what happens if the material, the subpoenaed request information of the company is from out of state, out of North Carolina? What are are the options there? Thankfully, uh, that issue is becoming a lot less complicated
1: than it uh, used to be. Um, At one point in time, you always had to obtain a commission uh, in order to do discovery out of state now uh through something called the uniform interstate depositions and discovery act which thankfully north carolina is a part of and uh most states uh, are a part of or are working to become a part of um the process is really simple so i've had a situation where i needed to subpoena a witness up in uh minnesota so uh, we were asking him to be deposed um we uh followed the Uniform Interstate Depositions and Discovery Act. We uh, followed the local procedure in, uh, I think it was Hennepin County up in Minnesota. Uh, Their clerk's office was super helpful, and here's what we need to do to issue the subpoena. And uh, basically what we did was we uh, had a North Carolina subpoena issued, which would not be enforceable. Um, We sent a copy of that to the court up there. They issued our subpoena, and then we served it out. Um, so really, it was a couple of mailings, and that's that's all that was required to get the discovery. Um, unfortunately, some states have not uh, gotten on board with that process yet for one reason or another. Uh, I looked yesterday, and I think the ones that uh, are not involved yet are Wyoming, Texas, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Uh, a couple of those uh, have some legislation pending that would make them a party and what's important to note is that in order for the Uniform Interstate Depositions and Discovery Act to apply uh, both the state where the action is pending and the state where the discovery is need to be a part of uh, or have adopted that legislation um, but unfortunately uh, if you've got a situation where uh, that act has not been adopted um, you're going to have to get a commission, which is uh, a much more complicated and expensive process. And also, uh, it gets really complicated and expensive, even if you have the Uniform Interstate Depositions uh, and Discovery Act. Um, if someone objects or moves to quash uh, your out of state subpoena, then you're looking at probably hiring local counsel. And uh, generally, the fight is going to be in the location where the discovery is sought. Um, so, it uh there's a lot of pitfalls there and luckily we don't have to do that uh all that often but it's a good tool to have whenever we do
0: need out-of-state discovery i've used that uh where you go to the clerk and have them to issue the their um statement and be able to get that and thankfully like you say there is more steps to it a little bit more so than just the issue of subpoena but uh it's pretty thankfully pretty not too unusual it's pretty commonplace if you have to do it and um it usually works out, but like you say, if they, if they somebody files a motion and then it gets to be a little bit uh, more difficult and costly to have to go for it. But if it's information that you need, then you got to make that that judgment call in it. So that's awesome. Hey, hope this is helpful. It's always you know fun to help uh, having issues that we help our clients with and that are uh, we know that uh, that y'all deal with on a regular basis. And this is certainly one of them. Ian, thank you. Anything any closing thoughts, Ian, on, on subpoenas?
1: Well, I think that's it. We'd be more than happy to talk with you if you have any of these issues or any other subpoena-related issues.
0: So, folks, thank you all for joining us today, and we look forward to uh, joining you on our next podcast. And as the infinite wisdom and words of our friend says, that's all, folks.